We've got probably one of the most popular golf personalities, especially in the golf club. I mean, he might be number one as far as golf equipment guys. I mean, he works for TaylorMade. He's practically the face of TaylorMade Golf's social media, and that is Trotty Golf. Chris Trot, you definitely know him as Trotty, and you've probably been a fan or a follower of his for quite some time. Definitely upped his game in the past uh, couple years. We talk a lot about that, and of course, uh, the importance of club fitting and club building, knowing what you are putting in your bag. We got Chris Trot from TaylorMade next. The Brian Golf Show. Four! Presented by Cobra Puma Golf. That was an excellent shot. Yeah, real good form. I'm with my friend Chris Trott on the Hangar Hotline. It's presented by Watson Golf. You know him as Trotty Golf on Instagram, but he is the director of sports marketing at TaylorMade Golf. But Trotty, to me, you are just one of the guys, man. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. I was uh, I was stoked when you sent me a message and invited me on. So awesome to be here. Your day-to-day normally is uh, out on tour and the tour life. There's no tour. So what's life like today? Yeah, I mean, obviously, we all find ourselves in a, in a very unique situation. And the company, the OEM, which, you know, you say sponsored by another OEM, but we're all friends. I think we're all in this golf community together. And that's obviously how you and I have met through this world of social media, then obviously in person at the players. Social media has been a great thing for me this last year and a half. And as a result, I find myself, and, and you will have gone through this, becoming more and more comfortable at hearing my own voice, be it via an iPhone or be it via a pre-recorded video that you're filming. And in that sense, there's been a huge demand, certainly on my time, as I'm sure there has on yours, to appear on either live Q&As or create content for partners, create content for people that I want to talk to, much like yourself, or create content with some players. We've got some exciting features coming up called Tour Talk that will air next week through the TaylorMade uh, channels. And and I think they're going to take a life of their own. But the thing is, all these things, I think that the viewer sees where they may have seen me before in the Team TaylorMade podcast. So they see the three-minute IGTV clip that comes out on a various channel and they, they just think that that comes together. But Obviously, there's a lot of groundwork you have to put in on the person that you're interviewing. There's a lot of preparation work you have to put in to figure out how to work all these devices to record it. So I'd say at a time like this, I've been a lot busier than what I would normally be when back in Carlsbad. But I think some of it is the fact that it's fresh, it's exciting, it's new, it's creating content in a very unique scenario, which is you know, the four walls of our own houses. And I'm enjoying that challenge, albeit different, but I'm enjoying it. Well, you have this wealth of knowledge, and that's kind of one of the things that when it comes to social media, winners on social media, they either have a wealth of knowledge and are willing to share it, or they just have a great personality and people connect. You're kind of been, you've been blessed a little bit with both there. So how long is it taking you to be really comfortable, one, knowing what you know and knowing that it's right or believing that what you know is right and and being willing to share it? Well, I think that it's, I mean, to hear that from you, I appreciate that because you flow so easy on all of these things. And that I, all the time, I've been looking for people to learn from and, I've thought about and looked at training academies and training courses, but at this time, I've not done anything formally about that. And this, I may have changed that. But it, it was wanting to 
stick to <clears throat> my style. Now, I am very good friends to me and my golf guys, and I had them stay with me when I lived in Asia before they started the company, and they told me what they were going to do, and you know, I thought, okay, fine. But we all came from a teaching pro background. So when you're teaching, obviously, you have to manage the, the amount of time in the lesson, and you also have to present what you're trying to teach, the knowledge that you're trying to pass on to the player. So that side of it was getting groomed early on, you know, when I 15 years ago. Then I landed the job at TaylorMade. And again, you, you're then put into a time-sensitive fitting situation with some of the best players in the world. So you were always managing your be precise, be on the mark, be accurate, educate, facilitate, let that player go and hopefully win a tournament. So I think the skills and having them were there before the cameras got involved. Obviously, technology evolved. And I have a boss of mine, Keith DeBarbaro, who's the vice president of Global Tours. And for me, Keith is one of the best fitters out there. Not so much on the way, though, that he fits the golf club. I think that that side of it now, I have that skill set to the same level. And I arguably have the other side now. But going back four or five years, it was how he would handle a Dustin Johnson, how he would handle a Justin Rose, how he would handle Sergio Garcia. His ability to deliver the, the information in a much more concise and direct fashion with the best players in the world. Then I had to make a decision. Am I, do I want to expose this? As social media came out, I waited a long time to get into the game. Maybe too long, maybe not. But it was, do I want to, once you start taking the, the sort of blanket or the roof off and you start revealing what you've got going on, it's difficult. You know, if you compare it to Formula One or I don't know much about NASCAR, but, you know, you don't get many of the mechanics or many of the team people at Ferrari or Ford or wherever saying too much in the media. And to go out and create the social media channels, the demand was there. I knew it was there. But I have a very unique situation position. I'm in a company that trusts me with their brand. They trust me to represent their brand. But it's taken me 15 years, and I didn't start the social media deal until sort of 13 and a half years into that company. So, I mean, it's a good question, and arguably I got in too late, but <clears> it was just time, I felt, to share this information as social media was becoming much more in demand, effectively. Well, and if you're coming in, as you say, too late, you know, in a sense, you go, well... Yeah, there's coming in too late. There's coming in at the right time. I mean, nobody really knows the right time, but it off, uh, uh, it'll always help when you have a company like TaylorMade that is kind of there to push you or, or be a, I don't want to say a free marketing tool, but in a sense, you've got the big account that can share you and grow your account until it gets to a point where it's as big as it is now. Um, and I don't think, I don't think, I still think you would have shined, but, or shown, I don't know how you say that. I still think you would have shined, but it would have taken you longer. You know, sometimes though, with a corporate company like TaylorMade and a big brand like TaylorMade, I desperately want to be seen that I'm trying to be fair yet represent. And I think a lot of the frustration with seeing some of these club reviewers come out and not be fair and not give the right information about our brand. You know, I have a direct line to the R&D guys at TaylorMade. Now, I don't share everything they tell me, but I can tell 
my viewer something about our product that I know is 100% accurate, where some of the stuff I look at is not. But to your point of getting pushed and, and, and out there and having the backing of the brand 100%, I mean, it's a bit, again, like having a race car with no engine. You know, it can move so fast. As soon as you put a turbo engine in it, like TaylorMade, it can move quicker. But it's a double-edged sword. You have to be sure you're representing that brand in the correct way. You know, when I've done so many podcasts, there are things that I want to say, whether I'm being the interviewer or being interviewed, but always you have to remember that your name is connected with, in my opinion, the best company in golf. Well, I'll tell you what I think that TaylorMade does really well on social and that's that they stick, you guys stick to golf. It is it is so focused on golf, the golf brand, the golf club, the golf, the players that you guys, you know, that um, are all representatives of TaylorMade, the John Roms. I mean, you put all your eggs in the golf basket, and that's just one of my favorite things. That's probably not something that you always could have done when, because it used to be TaylorMade and Adidas. And then once there was kind of that split, you got to focus way more on the golf side of things. Am I wrong there? You know, there, there was two brands effectively, of course. And, and through that time when the split happened, things changed. But a lot of the people that remained at TaylorMade and a lot of the folks who went to Adidas, you know, we were golfers. Everyone at those two companies representing those two brands were golfers. And I think that TaylorMade has a big passion about being a golf company ran by golfers with people who play golf and that shows through for sure and the desire to be connected with the best athletes in the game and to win I mean when the Golf PJ Tour starts our office is booming every Thursday Friday with everyone glued to probably watching more PJ Tour than they are working but making sure that our guys are up there it's something that the company is very proud of and it's something that I'm proud to be part of is there a direct moment before and after Tiger Woods? You know how there's like BC and AD? Is there like a, a BTW and ATW with the company? Uh, obviously, the best. The, uh, certainly, I mean, I've lived the BTW. You know, I've lived it and I know what it looks like. And we're now in the Tiger Woods era at TaylorMade, um, which is phenomenal, obviously, to see him win at Augusta, have him have our tiny little piece of that was amazing. And again, I'm not saying it was, we were the deciding factor there, but to be connected to him in any way as a golf company is fantastic. Now, the after Tiger Woods era, in terms of his playing days, who knows what that looks like? The guy is fit and well, and I think one of the biggest things we've lost here from the coach is obviously the, other than obviously the tragedy it's causing and, and people that are suffering, but what everyone in our world is feeling is, is no live sport makes it, it it's tricky and, and not being able to see him play. So I, I think we haven't gone beyond getting past the scenario we find ourselves in now and getting back to live golf and getting back to live sports and getting everyone back to safety that we haven't really even thought about life after Tiger yet in terms of that. What do you think is going to happen there when when the PGA Tour returns? What do you think the effect will have tour equipment-wise and, and that going into retail? Well, everyone's already dialed with equipment. You know, if you if you think when we left, everyone was in. Well, everyone was in Sim. Sim was off to an amazing start. Sim matched as its partner, and all the products were flying. 
So in terms of, I think as a company that is so focused about its people, the only messages that I'm seeing from TaylorMade are let's get everyone healthy and back to where it needs to be. And, and conversations beyond that haven't taken place yet. I, I think it's, like I said, we're, it's the same as the Tiger question. We're living very much in the moment because none of us know how golf is going to look when we get back. You know, I mean, the tournament could be going on without us as the equipment companies traveling to the event. So it may be tricky to service those guys. Who knows? I mean, hotels are obviously closed effectively, and so travel is on a lockdown. So I, I think it's a picture that we haven't allowed ourselves to go to yet because of people's health and safety, and the company has very much put that at the forefront. Well, in California, I know it was hit one of the first to do the old uh, lockdown, the mandatory lockdown. And uh, I know you've you've basically been quarantined at your house, right? Am I not mistaken? Like you've just basically done nothing but work from home the past few weeks? Yeah, I think we're into sort of week four now. Um, and yeah, it, it looks like it's continuing. Are you kind of going golf crazy a little bit right now? Is there some overload? I'm sure you're getting some extra time with your family, which is great. But at a certain point, are you just kind of going, man, I'm really tired of chipping and hitting balls into a net. I'm ready to, you know, get get away from putting indoors and go outside and play around a golf, smell that grass. I mean, for me, you have to remember that I've, I've obviously lived very close to playing golf while not playing. When you travel and you work on a PJ tour, but you're not actually playing the event, it's a bit like being in the donut shop and having to look at them through the glass. You know what I mean? It's, it's tricky. Um, and it, it, it certainly gets your juices flowing that you, you want to play. So I'm actually probably doing better than a lot of people. I've got quite a few neighbors who've figured out who I am and what I do in the golf industry. And I think they've all now got nets out because of my net getting pounded every day. I think they've all got nets out and they're sending me videos now. Hey, how's my swing look? And what do I need to do? And when we get back, can we play? Because obviously everyone's on their phones now. Yeah. So you know, I've been getting a golf fix as usual. I'd like to be chipping and yeah, I'd like to be putting on grass like stall. But at the end of the day, I, I, I understand the situation as we all do and it's just something that's going to have to wait. I mean, we're blessed here being in California that the weather's so perfect. I, I mentioned for a buddy of mine who works for True Temper and he's up in Canada and of course it's still too cold for him to get hidden out and start pounding balls. So, you know, I I, I think we've, there's ways to look at everything and I think in this scenario, the simple fact that we've got good weather here in California, I mean, me being an Englishman, I could be in the rain in England. So, I'm still pretty upbeat about the whole thing. Trotty, I want to talk about like Trotty the personality, and then I want to separate, if we can, from TaylorMade. Are you making any personal gains on social, Uh, you know, your own deals? Are you doing anything on your own yet, or are you kind of limited in what you can do? I am making, to be completely honest, zero out of it. But that's also somewhat, of a lie, right? I mean, what it's doing for me in terms of my own personality and image in the game is that's what drives me on to do it. And that's why I think that if for anyone out there who's good enough and kind enough to follow my social media, I anyone I partner with is purely done through the desire to, to the, the respect and the affection I have for their product. So 
I like to wear Link Soul clothing because I think that it's a cool brand. And I think what they stand for as a SoCal company is fantastic. I think style is cool. I think how they've handled COVID-19 and with their t-shirts where they're trying to give money through to various charities, I think is, is very cool. And I think they love the game. Then you go on to Optic Camera. I do loads of stuff for that. The product is amazing. I mean, the reason I partner with them is because the product's brilliant. But the partnership doesn't go any deeper than a group of guys that I've got an interest in. And they're good blokes. They're a different demographic. They're action sports guys. So that brings that side in. Then obviously the Nike shoes, which I wear because I think that they're the best. It's as simple as that. And they were amazing with their support. And then the main thing is the tailor-made side. So in a nutshell, there isn't, and of course, Oakley eyewear, but I mean, are you going to wear anything else? But the point is, is that, you know, these brands, they're all brands that at this early, early stage, the social media is going to go on and on. And mine is hopefully going to snowball and going to grow. And should it come to a financial gain? Well, I work for TaylorMade and it would need to sit alongside that and it would need to fall in line with what I do there. That's my primary function here my primary role is with this like we've already said amazing golf company and if i was out there solely doing coffee golf it probably would it would have to look a lot different to what it looks today and i don't know probably not it wouldn't be the size it is today which is still relatively small but the point is is that i'm able due to having this great connection with TaylorMade, to turn down some things that come to me either a because i don't like it or b because i don't want to do it and just let it live the way it lives. So again, it's a, it's being fortunate to run a social media account that you can be and do and say what you want to do, but you also have the security of this huge engine in TaylorMade behind you. Well, I think it's important, and I think everyone needs to know that there's a difference between the person who kind of just does everything and, and will sell anything that comes to them on social, and then there's the people that go, look, I'm I'm standing with this brand, this brand, and this brand. These are my brands, and I, how you said, like, I wear Nike shoes because I like them. Same reason I'm with Puma is because I have always liked their style. And I enjoy wearing it. So you got to stay true to yourself in a sense. And the, the ones that kind of, you know, that kind of aren't true to themselves are the ones that kind of send that mixed message. And and it's, I think it hurts social media overall. And it makes it to where it's like, all right, well, I want to trust a hundred people, but sadly I can only trust five. And, and, and it's a good point. And I also think that if you maintain this sort of situation early on, you're under no commitment with anyone. You can see who believes in what you're doing and who shares the same opinion. And as time goes on, when it does become the time to do something because it makes sense and because the demand is there and because people might want to buy something because you've endorsed it, that's when it's time to do something. It's like it's a bit like equipment deals. There's no point in taking an equipment deal with a golf company if it's if you're not playing your best golf. And I think as social media grows and as I grow, you grow, there's no point in me committing to anything until I know how these people service and how they work and what they believe in. And if all these companies believe in something you believe in, then it makes sense, right? I mean, that's where I'm at with my view of that. 
Well, that's how it should be. I mean, that's like a real thing. Like what you said is actually way bigger, I think, than than maybe you intended it to be, which is, uh, you know, you, you've kind of got to sift through some of the BS, you know, personally, like as you are trying to grow your brand and the brands you work with, sometimes, you know, you dip your toe in the water with a company and then three or four months down the road, you go, yeah, I'm, I'm not, that was not the right decision. And you've got to kind of cut bait pretty quickly. Um, I ran into that early on and I, I believe that I've, I've kind of learned my ways, like my stable, if you will, you know, who's in my stable and, and you're, you're in my stable, you're in my stable, the people I trust. How about that? <laughs> That's cool. And I mean, and likewise, I mean, I wouldn't come on here if I didn't feel that you were going to manage my image and brand the right way. But I think the only way, like I compare a lot of it to my sports marketing, which is the backbone of what I've done career so far. And, you know, I have worked with players from Tom Whitecroft through to Tom Watson, Bernard Langer. You know, we're talking champions or older guys all the way through to Matthew Wolf and Morikawa and the young guys. And, I'm, you know, I think a third of the way what's going to be my whole career in the golf industry. So what's the point in rushing anything when the truth is that, you know, the the kids that I end up working and finishing my career with might not even be born yet. You know what I mean? And that's what life, to bring it back to your previous point, after Tiger could look like. I could be working with the next Tiger Woods 20 years from now, and I'll still be in the industry. So there is no point in jeopardizing anything because, again, you hit it and let's not not hide the pink elephant in the room. I have an amazing connection with an amazing brand that I think from this interview you can tell I'm very proud of and I would always protect that. And I think that, you know, I live tailor-made. I do. And I try not to force it on people through social media and I think I do a good job of that, but that's my guys, you know what I mean? And I think that at the end of the day, that could ha- that could be for the rest of my career. It really could. And that's a real thing. So I definitely don't want to do anything short term to jeopardize that. Well, and that's important too, you know, because c- you can push the narrative and, and look, your narrative's obvious. You go to your page, you see, we, we all know your, your team tailor-made. That's just it. We know you're going to bleed the tailor-made colors, whatever they are for the, for that year or that week. I'm like, you know, just going back because sometimes, you know, you got some cool, crazy head covers. So uh, weekly, you guys are pretty vibrant. I like the creativity that you have. So, but you bleed those products and, and that's how it should be. But at the same time, you know, I go, me, you know, I look, I'm a Cobra Puma ambassador. That's what I am. But I'm also a fitter or I've been a fitter and I'm hopefully be a fitter and, and be able to build and sell golf clubs straight out of my garage or whether it's going doing mobile fits across the street at the uh, at the golf course or some of the area courses, whatever it may be. I've I've been in a position where I've been selling all product, all brands due to whatever fits a player best or whatever a player wants or needs for the past couple of years. And you've got to kind of remember that too. There's a responsibility, especially on my end to go, look, 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 just because this is what I play, that doesn't mean that I'm saying that it is absolutely the best for you at all times. Now, I will say, I believe that every OEM probably has a product for every golfer out there. And if they're dialed in and they're fit properly, it's probably going to perform. And that obviously is, um, is the situation that you have where it's like, look, you, you can sit there with a tailor-made logo on your hat and know confidently you've probably got a product for everyone. 100%. I mean, and that's across the board. And 
I think, look, I put a YouTube clip out. I, that's one thing that quarantine has been great for. I've been spending more time doing some YouTube stuff. And the bottom line is, is that, like I said on my YouTube clip that I put on there recently, you as a player have responsibility when you go for a fitting. You can't just assume that the guy fitting you is going to be able to Houdini a situation and come up with the answers for you every single time. So you must take responsibility. And some of that responsibility is being able to ask yourself the correct internal questions, leave the ego at the door, don't feel like because Tiger uses something, you have to use it, understand your place in the game, and make a decision based on the options that are put in front of you. Now, the fitter's job is to put some good options in front of you. And I think you independently, I've never had a fitting with you, but from following you on social media and watching what you do, I would go to you expecting you to do that, and I think you would do that. And that's all anyone getting a fitting can ask, is that the individual fitting them, now be it for a brand or be it for a series of brands or a group of brands, they put the options in front of you as a player then you as the player or the consumer have to make the decision based on that. And that was always my advice in that scenario. So with TaylorMade, because you started overseas and you ended up coming to America, you fit at a lot of different levels and you've built clubs at a lot of different levels. Um, do you see a, a difference in a sense? Like, do you feel good about where the industry is at when someone gets a custom built set that, that you fit? Like say you're at, um, what was the, what was the golf course overseas that you worked at? I was at the Bell Street. Yes, that's right. They hosted a Ryder Cup, correct? Yep. You fit the clubs and then they're they're ordered to specs, but you didn't build them. Do you feel confident that um, we're at a point in this industry where that's good for a player still, that's good enough for a player still, versus what they get on tour, which is this exact specification every single time, you know, this many wraps under the grip, this exact swing weight, uh, we like the lie angle to be this exactly, even though it's kind of, you know, it's not a degree up, it's not a degree and a half, it's literally a degree and a quarter up, something like that. You know, like, do you see the different levels of fitting in the value and being fit and having built clubs in uh, every way through your career? Yeah, I mean, fitting has come on massively. Trackman, for a start, is amazing. Uh, quad is amazing. Any of those launch monitors now that you will find at a good fitting establishment, and if I'm missing one, feel free to correct me, but any of those monitors that you find are so much further on than where I was 15 years ago. That's point number one. But the second thing I think that's massive, and I know you do this, and I know that the best commercial fitters I have come in touch with do this, when the clubs come to wherever it is they're being delivered, you don't deliver them if you can avoid it to the individual. You deliver them to your establishment. Then you get the club and you check them. And you check them there and then. And if you can check them with the guy coming. And you're not checking to see that they've been ordered to spec because they'll be built for spec, I'm sure, by every company. But what you're checking is to see that what they've built back in, be it Carlsbad for us or wherever it is that it ships from, matches your gauge and what you fit the guy on. And then that's obviously the at commercial level. That's the highest level of service I think you can give. If you walk through with the individual, okay, are the grips on how you want them? Do the tapes feel as thick as you wanted them? Are the, are the lie angles matching what we discussed? And if it is, I don't think, I think the after service and the service is still premium. I think the companies 
are getting more efficient. I think the fact now with flight control sleeves for tailor-made and various other manufacturers who have puzzles that you can bend or things that you can twist and unscrew and weights that you can move, all of that has only benefited the commercial golfer. Agree. Well, and, and what I liked that you said is it, it's really like, you know, say a seven iron lie angle is like 62 and a half degrees. 62 and a half on one line machine, loft and line machine, isn't 62 and a half on another one necessarily. You know, like my buddies that would always come in and, you know, they, they play on tour and they'd come in and kind of do their own club work and whatnot. It's kind of like, well, look, you can't go to the TPC Performance Center at, at Sawgrass and have 62 and a half need to be your lie angle and then come over to mine and expect it to always be exactly the same. Like you need to kind of stick with that one lie angle. And I'm sure for, for you guys, I'm sure everything's calibrated to a point where you know exactly it's the same. Every truck around the world has a calibration club that has been set up by Taylor and Carlsbad. And they have one wood and they have one iron. And everything is, is then sent out be it to Canada be it for the smaller trucks that does the AJGA or the Corn Ferry, be it for Europe, be it for Japan, there's a calibration club. And then in addition to that, the engineers have designed a USGA ruler that can be broken down like a jigsaw into three different parts. And then it's, it's made of a lighter material, so it's made of like a, I don't know, like it's like our bending blocks. It's much more brittle, so you have to be careful with it. You pack it up and then you place it into a flight cover and it goes in there with various clubs that you might, let's say some tournaments you don't have a truck. You know, if we're going down to South Africa or if we're going to Bermuda, the truck doesn't go. But a flight cover goes perhaps with 20 heads in of drivers and 15 to 20 shafts and then X amount of free woods, X amount of putters. That goes, a track man goes, and this ruler is folded down and that will go into the bag. And that is a matching ruler that has been calibrated to the stuff that's on the truck. And then a calibration club goes in. So when you get on site with the muters of this world, you then simply find the loft and line machine at the location and you calibrate that to what you're using back in Carlsbad. And that's how we try and keep the consistency around the globe for tour players. It has to be that way. Like for anyone listening and paying attention, like it has to be that way. In my opinion, and I guess my expertise, it, if it's not that, then you just don't know what you're really getting. And I, I think it's kind of cool to hear you say, because I assume, I, you know, I kind of just assume you guys go, hey, yeah, this is, look, this is Wade's machine. Like Wade knows the specs of this machine. Like Trotty knows this, the specs of this machine. He knows what it is. And, and all the work that he does is on this one machine. Therefore, it's always going to be accurate and true so it's good to hear you say that it is like that out there just because you know you you want to hope that the world's best players are getting the world's best treatment as far as their builds go well and the other thing is is what amateurs need to remember these things make a difference you know and i'm sure people are watching this and sort of listening and someone must be thinking okay but does it actually make a difference to my game 100 percent it does half a degree of lie angle it, you know, it can impact the flight significantly. Weight in the wrong place around the head can impact the flight significantly. And to your point, we have a machine called the Dela Cruz, and then we have an electronic lock and line machine on the truck. I'm a big Dela Cruz user. Wade uses the electronic lock and line machine a lot. Wade's our lead technician. So anyone like Jason Day or John Rahm, certain clubs that will pass to me to check because they know I've got the notes, and the notes are off the Dela Cruz. 
Or let's say I'm not out that week. I'll get a text message. Hey, send me the last uh, last loss and line machine check you did on the Dallas Cruise for Jason Day. And then you flick it over, Dustin Johnson, the same. Anything I do, the boys know it's Dela Cruz. So if someone's coming in and saying, Totty did this last week, it's always Dela Cruz. Versus if it's Wade, quite often it's electronic uh, lost the line machine. It's just a personal preference. Right. Yeah, see, I always I always really like the digital, but at the same time, there's something comforting in a, a nice old analog Mitchell loft and line machine. I, I'm, I'm analog all day. Now, that's showing my age and... Maybe it will change if the digital ones get... The digital ones, I always find it difficult to get on the same place. But maybe that will change. But I'm old school with that, for sure. The, the product right now is fantastic. It's always fantastic, but I think this year's definitely an improvement. And uh, if we're just going to talk Metal Woods, I, I mean, I love the Sim line, Sim Max, and... I feel like people that have an audience and people that talk online, whether it be on social media, just YouTube, and they're reviewing clubs and whatnot, I feel like there's this narrative that's being pushed that this year's isn't better than last year's. And everyone keeps kind of pushing that narrative because it's trendy right now. And then they use things and they say things like, this this driver, like the sim driver, this is for your tour player, which couldn't be further from the truth. It, it, it upsets me. It pisses me off when people go, this is a low spin version and it's for the tour player. Well, there there might be a tour player that, you know, needs more spin. So, you know, you can't really say that. And there might be an amateur golfer, a 15 handicap that needs less spin, you know, so they might need that quote tour driver. How do you manage when you hear things about your products and other people are saying it? How do you manage kind of the damage control that can come along with that? You start a social media account, call it Trophy Golf, and then try and build your own following. (laughs) That's the only way, right? (laughs) That's basically what I did. You could not look. I mean, we joke about it, but... It's hard because, you know, I live the whole process. I'm friends with a lot of the R&D guys. So I see the sweat and the, the effort they put into it. Then I'm friends with a lot of marketing guys and I, I live that world. So I see what goes into that. And then I get the end product and try and get it in place and see a point. I mean, Bo Hosler needs fit. And then, you know, Rory likes to take spin off. So you, it's all based on how someone delivers the golf club. You cannot, and that's why golf is amazing. That's why you and I are in this world because you cannot pigeonhole one club because how I hit one golf shaft and one, I mean, you and I would be a good example because, of, you know, you're obviously tall, deliver the club different to me. I'm, I'm not a very tall human and basically deliver it very different to you, but I bet our speeds are fairly similar. But we would hit two clubs set up the same very differently, very differently. Um, and, I, and I think that that's a good example of it. And that's why golf is so great, because how I feel one golf shaft and one head combination is massively different to how you see it. And that's why I say, again, going back to YouTube and wanting to have this audience that trusts me on this, it, some of it is up to you, the player, to make the decision. And a, a player that makes a decision is better than a player that doesn't, Sit one side or the other. You've got to make it because if you go for the, the more spinny driver, a good fitter will make that work for you. But don't think you can have the same setup in a driver that is a sim. You can't play a sim max in a sim. You can't play them in the same setup. You simply can't. You have to look at where you're at. Then it brings in golf balls, key height, shaft, shaft weight, swing weight. The whole thing comes into play then. 
There's so much you just said that I love right there. They're just at the end. You know what's really funny in fittings? Sometimes the average golfer, I will gain them majority of their yardage by fixing their tee height. Not saying it needs to be higher or lower, but both. Sometimes you get a player and it's like, you are never going to hit the middle of the club face consistently and deliver the club to the ball the way it's supposed to be with that tee height. It's, it's true, the little things that matter. Martin China got to world number one, seeing it like knee high to a grasshopper and hitting down on it five degrees with a 15 yard cut. And he's world number one. As soon as he tried to change that, he lost a little bit of the flow. He could shape the ball the other way, but it wasn't how he played golf. Tiger Woods uses the shorter tee than anyone else on our trailer. When you look at the tee peg, Tiger's got the shortest tee. It's because that's what he knows works for him. Now, yeah, you can change the shot shape you're going to hit based purely on the tee height. You know, you, you read all these books about psychology and hit a fade, you've got to think fade. And we're talking to the better player now, but I'm telling you now, if you're going to think fade and feel the, the path for fade and you tee it down, you've got more chance of hitting a fade than you have if the thing is teed up on a knitting needle. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, yeah. No, I, I've always found that so, so funny, the tee height, how much it actually plays. I mean, we've we've talked more in depth about tea height than anything in the past uh, 30 minutes. So look, I'm going to say my goodbyes and I'm going to say this is like a, a part one because we're going to do this chat another time. Once things get going back on tour, we'll catch up again. But I know a lot is going on right now. I know you're not just sitting there in California, um, you know, doing nothing. You're, you're working hard. And uh, I just appreciate you taking the time to hop on the podcast and uh, talk a little golf. I, I think, um, you know, when I, when I did the pod the other day with Matt Janela, we talked a lot and and I had so many DMs that said, thanks for this. This is what people need right now. It, people need these kind of conversations right now. Um, they're losing their minds and they need some sort of outlet. So thanks so much. I think you do a great job at what you do on social media. You're you're one of the guys I want to say it's you're you're doing what every tour guy should be doing and they're not. And it's not just because of effort. It's because not everyone can do it. So compliments to you and uh, definitely look forward to seeing where you go and where, how you grow in the future with your page. For sure. And I, look, everything said, likewise in return. And I really appreciate, like I said, the opportunity. I get to pick and choose where I want to go. Taylor made it great with that. And this is somewhere I absolutely wanted to be and to talk. And at the end of the day, I mean, before we came on and started recording, both of us said we got jam-packed scheduled today. and. Hopefully, I think a lot of people out there are enjoying the content and literally I'm on another call here in 10 minutes and I'm going live in an hour and I'm literally recording some YouTube stuff later where I'll get into T-Height and I'll get into face plane tilt and knowing more about your fitting and that'll go out next week on Tuesday. But mate, I, I really appreciate it, everything you're doing and between us all, we're going to pull golf through this and, and hopefully everyone out there staying safe and enjoying what we're putting out there. But thanks a lot for having me on. Of course, I'm sure you know him as Trotty Golf on Instagram. Give him a follow. Make sure you are uh, engaged in everything he is doing because he is providing a lot of uh, his expertise, giving it out basically for free in a sense, and uh, definitely got the occasional really, really cool, sexy interview with the world's best players. Trotty, thanks so much, man. Cheers, Brian. Take it easy, my friend.